Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. And my name is Jeremy. We are here to discuss X-Factor number 39, the uh, April 1989 issue on sale December 27th of 1988, cover price of a dollar. This one's titled Ashes to Ashes, although we were promised last issue of X-Men that it would be called Dust to Dust, which makes more sense because the last issue of X-Men was called Ashes. So we're following up Ashes with Ashes to Ashes. Uh, Yeah, and featured on the cover of this issue is an artist's interpretation of what he heard Inferno was about. (laughs) (laughs) You've got Storm in her ripped-up Inferno clothes, Cyclops and Jean standing on Colossus's shoulders, maybe? Colossus down there. you got Beast, Havoc's in the background. You've got super evil Wolverine. Uh, Psylocke is just kind of there, and uh, Iceman and Dazzler. Oh, and Rogue has got, like, big hair and uh, Angel. They're they're up top, way out of proportion from a perspective, uh, uh, well, from a perspective standpoint, uh, flying in the X-Factor logo. This is basically a, a, an action shot or a pose shot, and I'm, I'm fine with it. I mean, you know, Wolverine and Psylocke and Storm and Rogue all look like they look in the past couple of issues, so I don't have a problem with that. I don't know. It all seems like somebody found some clip art and just started pasting it on the cover of this issue. That's probably not true. Well, I know but... it's not true. I'm sure <laughs> that it was drawn by one person, but it's just they don't... It seems you like they like were. It. They, I don't like it. It seems like they were all drawn at separate times. It doesn't seem like this is a team that's together to get something done. Would you buy it as a T-shirt? I don't think so. No, I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I would. I would be like, oh, man, there are so many better covers. Why would you waste your time printing this on a T-shirt? What if? What if they didn't though? What if this? Like you, you go into Target. And this is the new X-Men shirt. I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't we think got, so. We uh, got Mr. Sinister is in the Marvel box. Yep. He's just hanging out there. Hey, everybody. Hey. It's me. And I think maybe the stark white background also throws it for me. I wish there was kind of like a muted out backdrop of anything. The solid cover backgrounds are never my favorites. That's definitely a true, uh, the truth for me too. Yeah. So, but whatever. I don't. I, I don't have a problem with this. I don't like much of the art on this cover, nor do I like much of the art in this issue. To be honest, I think people are getting tired. Yes, this issue, I think, will illustrate that. At least it did for me. Like, wasn't the last issue the double sized? No. Or do I... No, it wasn't. No. Well, I mean, the last issue of X Factor, X Factor Thirty Eight, was double sized, and X Factor. Okay, that's X... what I, that's what I meant. But I mean, the last chapter was single sized. But I see what you're saying. Uh, Louise Simonson and Walt Simonson are just, uh, is this stupid Inferno thing over yet? Let's just whip through this. Yeah. And I, who knows what else Walt Simonson is doing at this point. Well, he's certainly not putting his full attention to this book. That much I can say. Perhaps not. All right. Anyways, yes, this is Ashes to Ashes. It's written by Louise Simonson, penciled by Walter Simonson, Alan Milgram's inker, Joe Rosen's the letter, Gregory Wright is the colorist, Bob Harris is the editor, and Tom DeFalco is the editor-in-chief. 
As we last left our plucky mutant heroes, the mansion had exploded. Everybody was unconscious. Mr. Sinister had scooped up Marvel Girl in his arms and told Polaris to kill everybody else when Longshot showed up and said, Hey, wanna? what about me? You want to take me on? Ha! Ah. So I just want to point out that in the first page here, which is as you described it, um, Beast is lying on the ground. Interesting. You are correct, because in the last issue, there was some confusion about who was going to stay with the Greys on ship. Would it be Longshot or would it be Beast? And Beast insisted that he would go because Longshot needed to stay. And then right. next time we saw either of those characters, spoilers, it was just Longshot. It was at the last page of the Uncanny X-Men. So... I guess by looking at this panel, all we can assume is that Beast showed up and nobody drew him in or gave him any dialogue and he was knocked out in the explosion. And I also want to point out that Beast is directly in front of Mr. Sinister. An important point. Both of these things I did not uh, notice until you just mentioned them. <laughs> uh, and they, they play a pretty important uh, role in the events as they unfold. It actually kind of breaks everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I like they're not like whatever, let's just get this thing over with. <laughs> Mr. Sinister is like, huh, ignore Longshot. He's not worth your effort. Kill everyone. And this is where I also think that uh Louise Simonson does not have a good grasp on the character of Mr. Sinister. Certainly not his powers, but then again, I don't have a grasp on his powers either, so... Not necessarily his powers. Like, I feel like, whatever, he can do whatever he wants. He's a big, bad villain. But just the way he speaks in this issue uh, does not resonate with the way Chris Claremont has written him up till now. It didn't bother me. Nothing nothing about it bothered me. Hmm. It seemed out of place to me, but... But when he zaps a uh, long shot with lightning out of his fingertips, I was like, oh... Okay, guess he can do that now. <laughs> well, up until now, what have we seen his powers to be? Well, some sort of uh, vague telekinesis. Yeah? Where did we get the telekinesis from? When he was uh, manipulating all of the uh, chess pieces. Ah, yes. Weren't they all in the air? Yeah. Okay, vague telekinesis. He's very smart and can clone people, but that could just be like a super smart scientist. He deflected Polaris using some sort of, like, telekinetic bubble, yep. maybe? Yeah, that's right. Because she attacked him, and he waved her off with the telekinetic bubble? Yeah, or, or he just, like, pointed at her, and she explodes or something like that. Oh, okay. Basically, Mr. Sinister, in this issue, uh, can have whatever powers he wants. And I think that's fine i guess since we don't really know a whole lot about him nope he's he's evil well we do find out a little bit more about him i guess we don't really find out anything more than we've already heard through the chapters of inferno i feel like christopher christopher chris claremont must have had a lot to do with this issue because there's a lot of background story that i feel like he would not not want to be a part of yeah yep you're probably right. Mr. Sinister knocks Longshot over with his finger waggle, as you mentioned. Uh, taunts his luck. Your power, your luck won't save you or them. Longshot wants to know how he knows. How do you know? And he, he's he's still going through that whole uh, 
a, a self-consciousness thing, a lack of security about his powers right now. Yes. Um, that'll go through through the end of the issue. Mr. Sinister says that he uh, has made it his study to learn his enemy. He feared he was all dead. He, he thought that that was just a wasted uh, effort and that the pleasure of killing all of them had been denied. Uh, but long shot, he pulls his belt off and throws it at Lorna. Which manages to trip her up, knocking her down. And that's when Beast shows up. He has two... He has a word balloon with two arrows. So as I'm, <clears throat> excuse me, as I'm reading this, uh, Longshot says, I can save them. I must, he thinks in the thought bubble. Then you turn the page, and if you just, if you read left to right, you see the word arrow going to the left. You see Beast on the right. So you assume immediately that it's Longshot saying, back off, Longshot. He's more than a match for you, but our ploy worked. And then you see another line that goes towards Beast. And then you're like, what is happening here? Are they talking in unison? That doesn't make sense. Longshot's not talking about himself in the third person. So I think maybe the second word balloon uh, arrow is actually a part of Mr. Sinister's cape. And somebody <gasps> made an ink error. You are totally right. You mean the first one, the leftmost? Yeah, the, the leftmost one is a part of Mr. Sinister's cape. Absolutely. So, yep, that's exactly what happened there. And somebody, when they inked this, messed up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's funny. That's a question I think I've asked before. I don't know if either... Well, I don't know the answer, but when they draw the book, the artist, I wouldn't... The artist doesn't draw in the talking bubble or the thought bubble. How does that get there? I think, well, I mean, it depends on what area you're talking about. I, th I thought in the old days, uh, the artists did the lettering, so they would draw in the word bubbles. But now, I guess in the days of lettering, I would assume that the letterist puts in the bubbles. Uh, I feel like even back in the days of X-Men number one, Jack Kirby wasn't lettering. It was somebody else who was doing the lettering. Possibly not. I feel like it was always somebody else doing the lettering. So that's, uh, so like... In this case, it looks like the, the entire panel was drawn. Somebody put this bubble on top, but somehow forgot to draw or enclose the draw the circle, which made it look like a talking balloon. I think before, and I guess this would this would agree with this, that the uh, before the, before the inking is done, the word balloons go on the page. Hmm. Oh, I guess that makes sense. Because you need to get everything on there before you can really start inking. Sure, sure. Okay, that makes sense. So the inker screwed up. Yeah. Nice job, Joe Rosen. But maybe not so much screwed up, but Sorry, just Al like Milgram. Mis misunderstood what was intended here. Because probably they're... Because I don't think the word balloons have... Text? I don't know. Well, they must have if... text because like you wouldn't... Well, I think I have actually seen a comic book that has a giant word balloon and then like six words inside. But I wasn't sure if like the word balloons have arrows or not, or if the arrows are added later by the letter. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. No well, idea. Either way, somebody was asleep at the wheel and clearly not reading the comic, unless you're right, unless the word balloons are drawn, everything's inked, and then the letterer comes around and puts the letters in. But then you have to wonder, like, well, I guess they didn't really script so much. They just kind of wrote stories. So then is it up to the letterer to be like, well, here's what the script says. Here's how much room I have in my bubble. So this is what I'm going to write. That can't be. I don't know. Huh. Interesting. 
all these things we don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this has been the We Don't Know podcast. <laughs> Somebody out there is like, you idiots, it's all on Wikipedia. <laughs> Probably. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, it's definitely Beast who says that. Um, and he says, you distracted them long enough for me to position myself to land a lucky strike. And Mr. Sinister says, Beast of X-Factor. Again, I that's not how Chris Claremont would write him. <laughs> and then Sinister says, I had noted your absence. I wondered when you might arrive. And that's right. the problem. Yep. Because Beast is right in front of him. And in this, he also appears behind him. And I suppose, I don't know, I, I can't imagine a guy like Mr. Sinister would not have taken notice that, oh, there's Beast right there. Yeah, I kind of... Beast of X, X Factor. <clears throat> I kind of wish um, Marvel Unlimited included the letters pages because it'd be interesting to look at, you know, three issues from now's letter section to see if somebody's begging for their no prize. Yeah, there probably is. And they probably have a great explanation. Yeah. Well, you see, blah, 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 blah. Yes, I can imagine. Anyways, it also kind of looks like Mr. Sinister is doing like a karate kick while he shoots Beast with his... His little finger waggle. I, th I think the ground is just so unstable that he's like has to get a leg up on something. But yeah, it does kind of look like an action move. So the thing about Mr. Sinister is up until this issue, we've only ever seen him just kind of like standing and being uh, commanding, not really getting his hands dirty because he doesn't need to. And here we see him smiling and holding up his fists and doing weird karate kicks. I feel like this panel would work way better if he just like was just standing there straight up and down. He's like, I have no need of you beast. Cause it <laughs> rather than this whole, like, Oh, I'm falling backwards and stabilizing myself. And I had noticed your absence. I wondered when you might arrive instead of saying something like, um, I, ex this is most expect all of my X-Men are here now or something like that. But anyways, Polaris uh, goes in for the kill of Cyclops, who is supposedly unconscious, and uh, he's actually not, and he's he shoots her in the face. Don't count on it, lady. He's buried in iron girders. I will crush him, because I'm the mistress of magnetism. Talking about Cyclops, who clearly is not buried in iron girders. No, it's like he's laying on top of a pile of wood. Again, just <laughs> well, a, a couple colors in here would help. I'm willing to believe that all of the wood are iron girders, but he's, I mean, he's not really, he's not buried at all. He's, he's laying not buried. On, he's, he's on them, but I guess that's, that's semantics. He's laying on top of debris, but he shoots. Um, I, I think he shoots Polaris in the boobs because her boobs go flying right into her face. <laughs> it's a very odd picture of her boobs. It looks like they've been shot off of her body. It is a force blast, so it's probably just moving them around. <laughs> uh, it's weird. So we get a shot of Cyclops between Mr. Sinister's legs, uh, and to the left, uh, or I guess right, Cyclops is right. Gene's legs are hanging, so we get the, 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 the very real sense that Mr. Sinister is still holding on to Gene, which he has been, and he says, drop her, Sinister. Make me. My optic blast. I can't fire my deadly optic blast. Why? <laughs> because you're a sissy. <laughs> See, again. Summers, you were always a sissy. Well, they're establishing something. Yes, I... this, this, this is very unlike 
the sinister that we have known up till this point. But this makes sense in the context of what they're about to tell us. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I it does, but I don't like it. And even and Scott even recognizes it, and he's like, his words, my reaction, this isn't normal. We're acting like a couple of kids. Where does it come from? It all seems so familiar. Reminds me of what? Evil Rogue wants to know from Psylocke what's going on. Both, all of us, uh, Rogue, felled in the blast by, no, Cyclops is in mortal danger. And she attempts to, I guess, grab a hold of Sinister's mind, knock him down, I suppose. And uh, he's too powerful for her. Mm -hmm. So he repels her psychic attack with more finger blasts. Rogue flies in, and she's like, I absorb powers, so I'm going to drain your power. It's going to go into me. And Sinister's like, oh, that's cool. I'm way more powerful than you, so now you are me, and I am you. And so he takes over the body of Rogue, which has happened before, so we know this is a thing that happens. You'd think that Rogue would learn after a while, like, well, there's some powerful mutants that I probably just shouldn't do this to because there's a real good chance they're going to take me over. Well, how are you going to know until you try? Yeah, I don't know. Just kind of make like a threshold of like, uh, I don't know. Like, I can I can take over the blob, but I probably can't take over Mr. Sinister. There's a power differential there. She's got some great hair in these couple of panels, though. The shadowed one, uh, on one hand, is awful. But on another hand, it's almost genius. <laughs> I don't know why. Like, if I was to see if that character in that pose with that color scheme was blown up and put on the cover of a book and said, like, now introducing the new adventures of so-and-so, I would be intrigued. But then yeah. if you told me that that was Rogue, I'd be like, oh, well, now I'm not interested anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like they inadvertently developed a new character but never did anything with her. It kind of looks like an eyeball. Where, where her neck is and there's like air uh like you can see you can see a space between her hair and her neck yeah looks like an eyeball it's awesome but awful <laughs> at the same time on your knees to me your your master uh foolish child will you never learn this is when cyclops has his first flashback to being in in a hospital sweet heaven i remember i know so he recalls seeing a Mr. Sinister-esque character at the orphanage who had the um, the cowl and the lacy cape, whatever you call that. Uh, and uh, he was in the hospital. He heard a voice. He opened his eyes, and he blew a hole through the roof. And whoever this was was very happy that this happened, but he couldn't allow it to happen again, so he used all sorts of machinery to put him into a coma for a year. But it wasn't a coma, was it? It was you. And then Rogue goes back to normal, which normally doesn't happen. Normally she's out for the count for quite a while in an issue. But this is like, I don't know, just a page. So so Rogue transfers over to Sinister, let's say because Sinister is very powerful. Okay. Uh, and it takes Rogue enough off balance that Mr. Sinister is able to elbow her, effectively taking her out of the fight. So I'm okay with that. Thanks, Scott. Surely now you can remember. He remembers the plane exploding. Uh, he remembers being pushed 
out of the door with Alex, them falling. They only had one. No, they didn't have a parachute. I thought they had a parachute. They had a single parachute. Yeah. But it didn't open. But instinctively, uh, and without his knowledge, he was able to use his optic beams to lessen the impact of uh, the fall. And that mutant, that burst of mutant power alerted Mr. Sinister of Cyclops' presence. I knew where you were and what you were. Your little brother Alex was a bonus. So cutting over to Alex, and uh, he's going to the knocked-out Polaris, but she gets up and says, You are a helpless fool, except as I must through Sinister's machinations. I am bonded to this body, and Miles and Polaris are now one. I feel like in the first panel, though, when she goes, Alex, I feel like she's Lorna Dane. But then in the next panel, when she wakes up, she's Malice. Well, they're they're the same now, so yeah, I mean that's I I think you're right, but I I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, so Mr. Sinister carries on. I had you and Alex. So this is like exposition issue. Like we're gonna explain everything in this issue, which is why I feel like Chris Claremont must have had something to do with this. Yeah, but I also don't feel like this is really Chris Claremont's story or, or um his his method to kind of reveal everything in one issue. Like no, probably in not. Classic Bond supervillain fashion, but maybe it's his style to give it to somebody else to deal with. Maybe. So he had Alex and Scott transferred to his orphanage, and he arranged for the for Alex to be adopted away so he could keep track. Uh, uh, though I kept close track of him, uh, I meant to keep you for myself, but Xavier stole you to be one of his X-Men, and so I made this trap. Oh, by the way, I'm not going to talk about Jack of Diamonds because, well, <laughs> that was a little embarrassing that that man was able to steal you away as well. Jack of Diamonds. <laughs> Meanwhile, he was growing Madeline uh, in your lost love Jean Grey's image. And he used Madeline to drive uh, Cyclops away from the X-Men and to acquire a child with your genetic potential. It's very convoluted. Do we even find out by the end of this issue, like, why he wanted a Summer's child rather than just having Cyclops? Um, no, I guess we, we, we never really figure out the, the reasoning of, I guess because it was an early mutant. I don't know. Maybe Cyclops was the first mutant he ever discovered. I, I, I'm i speculating because they don't tell us. They don't. I guess that's really my point. Uh, Mr. Sinister says he was uh, moving in on uh, Scott when he was in Alaska, but then Gene reappeared and lured uh, Scott back to Cyclops. Uh, he, at that point, chose to cut his losses, destroy Madeline before her uncanny likeness to Gene, uh, down to her very genetic structure, could reveal Mr. Sinister's existence. After all, he had a child who will be more powerful than either parent. And now he has Gene. Meh. So he wants a powerful mutant. Which, you know, who doesn't? <laughs> Although it's kind of speculative. Like, how does he know that this child's going to be more powerful than both of them? Maybe his mutant power will end up being like he's really good at picking strawberries. <laughs> I can turn myself into a horse. <laughs> that's my mutant power a powerful horse no pretty run-of-the-mill horse uh gonna win a race no <laughs> probably pull a plow but i'm really good at finding the best hay yeah oh my gosh that's really where i excel i can find a needle in a haystack <laughs> eventually 
So <laughs> Cyclops, uh, at that taunting, says, Keep away from her! Do not interrupt, child, when your betters are speaking. Remember, I give the orders here, and Mr. Sinister shoots more powers from his fingers, which binds Cyclops up into mutant power handcuffs. It's more of a... I feel like it's more of a mental black than anything, but... Yeah, I know. This is the visual manifestation. Cyclops says that Madeline was stronger uh, than you are. In the end, Sinister, she thwarted you. Even as she was dying, she pointed the way to you. Yeah, so Mr. Sinister says, Sure, she sent you to me to die, because she assured you of your destruction. I guess. I mean, yeah, it's probably slightly true. Maybe. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Alex gets up from uh, behind and says, No way, Sinister! My life, my brother's two women that I loved have been destroyed by your evil. My life, my brother's... There's, like, a lot of commas here. My life, comma, my brother's, comma, two women that I loved... Oh, the two women, he's... This is what confused me. Because in the context of everything, they've been talking about Jean and Madeline. But he's talking about Madeline and Lorna. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, good point. Like, he never loved Jean. I mean, I guess by (laughs) extension, he kind of did, but... Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, uh, so he shoots the full force of his plasma beams at Mister Sinister and doesn't hurt Mister Sinister. Young Alex, or should I now call you Havoc? That's what you go by. <laughs> I sent you away, but as you can see, I could have, I could have had you back under my power at any time, but I didn't want you. Meh, meh. Uh, Polaris is way more interesting, so I took her instead because she's got like Magneto powers. Instead of, like, Havoc powers? Lame. And boobs. She's got boobs. I think Mr. Sinister... Mr. Sinister's a boob man. You think so? (laughs) I think he's a boob. (laughs) That could be. Wrong move, Sinister. Since Inferno, I'm more deadly. And Polaris shows up and uh, traps Alex in metal. Yep. Shards of metal. Uh, yeah, he says, in the end, I'll get you for what you've done to all of us. Mr. Sinister, who has been holding, uh, he was holding on to Jean for quite a few panels, but I guess he finally put her down. Now he's picking her back up, uh, and he orders, uh, Malice to kill everybody. Well, it's tough to fight and hold Jean at the same time. I think he dropped her when he was rogue. Yeah, I think, yeah, you're right. Um... Polaris does something with her magnetic powers and the metal that Havoc is wrapped in. To... She's squeezing the metal to, yeah. in order to kill him. Which is something I don't feel like we've really seen Magneto or her do, is like really kind of like, like I could do some damage with these magnetic powers of mine, like physical human damage. Well, and then we see the usual stuff where like Colossus shows up and says, leave him alone and... She picks him up and tosses him around and makes him smile. But this is um, this is a little bit different. He she kind of contorts his body a little bit, but not in such a way to actually break anything. Is my point? Yeah, he, he, this is the closest I've ever seen of a mag like well either Magneto or Polaris. Like because realistically, Magneto or Polaris could just crumple Colossus into a little ball and like shoot him into the ocean, and that would be yeah. the end of Colossus. But most of the times they just like fling him away or like trap him up against some girders or whatever. But here, like 
it almost looks like his arms, while they're not like crumpled together, it, it looks like they're bent in such a way that like they should, by rights, be broken. I I think she just pushes them to the point of breaking them, but doesn't actually break them. I, I well, don't of know. course not. Of course they're not broken. But uh, what she does do, which I I like, and this is probably the best panel in the entire issue, is she. Uh, he says, "Ugh, stop it, you witch!" And she says, "Smile when you call me that big guy." She flings him away, but magnetically forces him to smile and have like a drunk look on his face. Yep, that's that's dark. I like that. Yeah, I do too. So, and then in the next page, Colossus is just kind of floating in the air. He's got one leg facing one way, another leg facing the other way. His arms are just in like a weird pose. Again, he's not broken, but I really like that finally, instead of just like uh, making him not able to move, she's doing weird things to him. It's a step in the right direction. It's more logical. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it as well. I just wish they would commit to it. Right. Uh, stop toying with him, Polaris. Kill them. You see, dear Scott, your puny mutants can do nothing against me and mine. No. I give the orders here. And that's when we learn that uh, Scott has a headache preventing him from shooting laser beams or whatever it is, force beams at Mr. Sinister. And we find out, well, he he's also like, why? but you caused my headaches. Why can't I remember? I put blocks on your power until you could learn to control it and until you learned who was your master. A technically difficult job since your conscious mind could never be aware of my existence. I had, this is kind of silly. I had to bury the truth so deeply, screen my existence so heavily that even a master telepath would not suspect me. But in the end, you never did learn either to accept me or to control your power. Finally, I forced, I was forced to resort to physical controls, ruby quartz glasses, which would hold back your optic blast, um, which I believe is a rewrite of the origin of the ruby quartz glasses. Yeah, Jack of Diamonds gave him those. So maybe he is Jack of Diamonds. <gasps> well, I wish that... I suppose... Do you think that they're just so embarrassed of those old uh, origin stories? They're like, nah, let's not even address those. Yeah, they're probably ignoring him. But I think we even made that joke when we did the Jack of Diamonds issue. Yeah. Like, he's probably Mr. Sinister. <laughs> Does have a diamond on his chest and his head. Oh, so maybe it's like a subtle callback. Yeah. Or a coincidence. Probably. <laughs> but what, also, wasn't there at some point there was a doctor who developed the ruby quartz glasses as well? So I feel like this they've redid this a few times. I don't remember. And this idea that Mr. Sinister. Yes, there was a doctor because he kept getting. Well, um, it, it calls back to the headaches. He kept getting headaches and the ruby quartz glasses were the only thing that would help his headaches. Which right. ultimately was the thing that stopped his optic beams. Right. Yeah, right. Probably mixing up a couple of different iterations of his uh, origin. But it does seem like maybe they read the backstory and they're like, all right, let's just let's make all those characters that did things to Scott. Let's just make them an amalgamation of Mr. Sinister or make Mr. Sinister an amalgamation of all those folks. But in order to make it logical that Mr. Sinister, like Scott doesn't remember Mr. Sinister in any way, shape or form. They come up with this ridiculous like idea that he hid himself from Scott the whole time he was torturing him. Right. And it's just like, well, he doesn't remember being tortured at all. 
So why don't we just include that with the stuff that he doesn't remember? He doesn't remember Mr. Sinister. It's part of his treatment. Why do we have to go through this silly little, like, I'm not here, but I'm torturing you. It's kind of silly. And I they, the reason that they do it, it seems like is because of tel- telepathy. And he's hiding himself from telepaths who might go into Scott's brain and figure this out. But it, it's just, it's convoluted. Yes. It's more convoluted than it needs to be. But I also think they're filling pages. Really? I kind of feel like this issue is like, we got to finish this up. We know what we want to say, but we have 25 pages we need to say it in. But, mm. but we only have 13 pages to say it. Or we only we only need like 13 pages to say all this. I don't I don't think so. I don't think it's there's there's filler going on here. I I think this is just the way that they chose to write it. Yeah, it's weird. You were my first failure. I could have destroyed you, but it seemed like a waste. I didn't know then what I know now. It doesn't matter any longer. There is the child, your son, and time is on my side. And finally, Wolverine wakes up, but his face is all black because he's evil Wolverine. And we get a close-up of his eyes, which I like, and he thinks to himself, who is that dude? <laughs> Louis Simonson clearly not knowing how to write dialogue for Wolverine. I'm okay with that. Mm. I, I could see Wolverine going, who is that dude? <laughs> I don't think he's used the word dude in any book up until now. Would you have been happier if he said Futzer? <laughs> yes. Who is that scooting <laughs> Futzer? <laughs> uh, this is, I feel like, the first kind of blowing Wolverine's powers out of proportion that we've seen. So, so far we've seen him like maybe take a couple bullets or get cut or whatever, and he's out of for the out for days while his healing factor uh, takes care of him. Here he says, Sinister set off a blast, knocked us out, drove a pylon through my gut. I pulled it out. Been listening a while, darling, waiting for my healing factor to do its thing. We're in big trouble. But if you follow everything that's been happening, it's probably only been like a half hour. Well, he's still like he's still crawling. So mm. also, what's up with his claws on his left or right hand? So I was going to comment about that. He extends one claw enough to tap uh, Storm on the wrist. Oh, and the other two claws are just halfway out for some reason? I guess he doesn't have uh, as great control as he would like. Okay. <laughs> but he's like tapping her with his claws, his adamantium claws. Hey, hey, wake up. Sorry, I may have cut something there. Wolverine, what happened? You cut me. Why uh, am I bleeding out? Yeah, I mean, I guess... They didn't write it, but I, I think that's the intention here is that Wolverine has woken up and now he's going to go try to wake up the rest of his teammates. And he starts with Storm by by poking her with his claw. The problem is his other hand is within finger distance of <laughs> her elbow and he could just as easily be tapping her on the elbow. Yeah, that's true. He doesn't, though. We need a plan, says Storm or whispers Storm, and she wakes up Psylocke and tells her to connect every, all of the X-Men and X-Factor that she can so that they can all uh, give each other their impressions of what's going on and formulate a plan, which is kind of a cool sequence of panels where we uh, – uh, that's exactly what happens. We, we get perspectives from each character except for Psylocke and Jean, who uh, Psylocke cannot connect to. Cyclops and Jean. Did I say Psylocke and Jean? You did. Oh well, uh, they're they're very similar names. 
Yeah. Psylocke, Psycomps. I yeah. Yeah. The Psy Ladies, the Psy Boys, Cyborg. Yeah. So they come up with a big plan. Which is basically we gotta get Gene away from we gotta we gotta do a couple things. We gotta get Gene away from Mr. Sinister. Uh we gotta get Havoc free of that metal that he's trapped in. We gotta stop Polaris and we got to uh get Cyclops to uh shoot Mr. Sinister because they speculate that maybe Mr. Sinister is afraid of Sykes' power, which maybe he's vulnerable or something. And then there's a terrible drawing of Dazzler. Yes. Scott can't use his power. Havoc says that's what Sinister thinks. Save Gene and get me out of here. Do what you can to put a dent in Sinister and I'll handle my brother. And that's when the Death Angel shows up, so calls Sinister to Angel. He hasn't been tipped up on the latest files update. Sure. Cyclops was was the most moral and upright of men. Even as I saw it happen, I wondered how could he of all men leave his wife? So I guess we're we're fixing the wrongs of the past. Although <laughs> you were manipulating Scott as Apocalypse manipulated me. I, he didn't manipulate Scott to leave his wife. Scott chose to do that because Jean Grey came back from the dead. There was manipulation definitely there because his wife was a clone of Jean Grey, for sure. But I don't think Archangel's point is very accurate. It's a stretch. And it's definitely like these words are here to like, you've read the last 30 issues of X Factor and maybe you think Cyclops is kind of a jerk, but it wasn't his fault. He was manipulated. Turns out Cyclops is A-OK. Yep. He, yep. As long as he was manipulated, he's at no fault for leaving his wife and child to to go <laughs> see his ex-girlfriend. I yeah. mean, formerly, like, he thought the girlfriend was dead, but still, you know. I feel like Scott should carry some of the, uh, unless Apocalypse, like, mentally controlled him to leave, and, and that's not what we're indicating here at all. Right. So, anyways, he shoots some of his blades at, uh, Mr. Sinister, Mr. Sinister's, Mr. Sinister's like, whatever, you you will that none of that's gonna hurt me, but uh, but it turns out that Mr. Sinister is not even his target, but Lorna is, and she gets shot in the back of the calf with a flechette, a Ugh. neural disrupting flechette. So she's out for the count, mm-hmm. presumably. Mm-hmm. Malice. And now that Malice is uh, out for the count, Colossus is ready to jump into action. Uh, Wolverine and Rogue and Colossus all combine to essentially... What's that trick where you, you push like a classmate over somebody who's on their hands and knees behind you? And does that have a name? It should have a name. I don't think it does have a name, but effectively they do that. They knock him over. They knock him over, and then they pummel him. Yes. Again, I mean, kind of going back to the whole child analogy that Cyclops made before, this feels like a schoolyard rumble. I was just happy that they were they're implementing a plan. Yeah, that's true. They are. Uh, Mr. Sinister is down, and he's like, an excellent effort, but doomed to failure. And he he shoots Rogue for sure, like she's out, or hurt Tracked. anyways. He's got Wolverine by the head. 
but then Wolverine says, there goes your prize, Sinister, and Storm has used her wind powers to suck Jean up towards her. Way to go, Storm. See, there's the thing that Wolverine says. All the time. He says, oh, I'm the best at what I do, and what I do is way to go, Storm. He's always like, way to go, Rusky. <laughs> That's pretty, yeah, way to go, Fuzzy Elf. Exactly. He's he's the way to go guy. Yeah, yeah. Way to go, Pumpkin. That's a kitty reference. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Storm is wanting Gene to wake up. Uh, they're in the they're in a storm, and Gene finally wakes up after some lightning goes off. Sinister monster, what have you done with her? You touched Scott, the Morlocks, Madeline, and now Gene. All oh, they've changed, all destroyed. Why? To what purpose? Great questions. That's, that's your, yeah, good questions that we don't find the answers to. And and as you said, Gene does wake up. Um, Ice. Man points out that Storm may be overacting just a little bit, but there's enough moisture in the air for me to do my thing. And he clicks his the, the dial on his belt, uh, I assume, which shuts it off. And uh, he does one of those massive ice uh, coverings, I guess. Like a, it's, a, it's almost mountainous. What it's, would you call it? I'd call it an iceberg. Ice, uh, an iceberg, an ice boulder. Yeah, uh, that all works. Sure. Um, Wolverine says that ought to hold him as he walks towards Havoc and says, long enough for me to do this. Uh, and he begins cutting Colossus or she's Havoc free when he smells saber tooth. And then you're like, oh my gosh, we're going to get a Wolverine saber tooth knockdown drag out fight. It's going to be awesome. I didn't know that this issue could get any cooler. I actually, I like, I like what they do here. I mean, it's different. It, it's, and I'll give you that. It's different. And and I've already and I've already seen them fight. So true. But it's just weird. Like, why did they do this? I mean, I guess he was on the school premise. We we established that earlier. He was probably knocked out during the explosion, and his healing factor probably just finished up. And so now he's like, oh, there's there's that Wolverine guy. I hate him so much. I'm gonna go kill him. Right, so so clearly Louise Simonson does not know about the history of Sabretooth and Wolverine. Maybe Chris Claremont doesn't even know it at this point. Probably not. And, that, and I'm not even sure if they know that he has a healing factor, but he does because uh, uh, it's sort of implied, I guess. Sabretooth says, I got better. <laughs> yep. Uh, Wolverine says, free Havoc, Dazzler. So now Dazzler at least gets to do something in this issue. Uh, so she uses her laser powers, but I guess it's not working fast enough. And Hank comes along and rips all the metal off of Havoc. Uh, and then we hear off panel, Arg! And then we see Wolverine's claws uh, retract with a snacked, and Sabretooth is knocked out. Sabretooth showed him I'm fast. I showed him my fast draw special. It's kind of like a fastball special. Except it's with my claws, and nobody throws anything. <laughs> At least he won't be bothering us anymore, says Havoc. And Wolverine says, I ain't so sure. Now, Havoc, deal with your brother. Yeah. And Havoc does his best dance pose here. Yeah, this is the weirdest panel in the issue. I don't know. Like, this is this is terrible. Well, 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 hello, boys. I'm glad you enjoy or you invited Havoc to y'all's party. I don't understand why he's doing this. Uh, I don't know either. Well, it's one of two things. 
uh, three things. He's either dancing, he's getting in touch with his sensitive side, or my favorite, I think he really has to pee. He's like, this battle <laughs> has been going on for a long time, and I got to pee something fierce, so let's end this thing. I think he's trying to come across as a kid. and Oh, it's, it, maybe. But Sure, because he's like, look at poor Scott, all helpless. What's the matter, brother of mine? Don't have any more girls to play with? Did you run out of redheads? Or did you just run out on them? Stop it, Alex. What's the matter with you? So I think that he is trying to draw Alex as a kid. Uh, but why Alex thinks that a kid lines up like this. I mean, he looks like he's doing river dance. Ah, yes. Yes. So that's four things. Um, I prefer the pee-pee dance though. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Yes. Uh, but I do agree with your analogy that he is taunting him like a child, which uh, I think is actually articulated later as actually being his plan. So yes, he says, what's the matter with you talking to Alex? And Alex like, me? What's your problem? Look what you did to Madeline. Look what he did, well, look what he did to Madeline. What he wants us all to do. You could have stopped him, bro. You could have stopped a lot of things, but you didn't because your sinister's little pet, his puppet, his chicken. Cut it out. That plasma stings, but it won't put a dent in me. It just makes me stronger. You want to do some good? Turn that blast on sinister. Good old Scott, always wanting someone else. And Havoc looks to go full power and give Cyclops the full Havoc. I like uh, Cyclops' eyes in this. They're kind of like little red suns. Well, actually, Havoc says, good old Scott, always wanting someone else, dot, 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 to do your dirty work. And that's when uh, Mr. Sinister bursts out of the ice glacier. Which, uh, I mean, kudos to Iceman. His ice glacier held somebody for like two and a half pages. This is one of his big ones, too. Yeah, so yeah. Well, I mean, makes sense. Normally, it's it's a page if if we're lucky, but it's usually a panel. <laughs> exactly. Um, this can't hold me. Storm says, uh, "Sinister's free. Attack him now. We can wait no longer." Dazzler asks, uh, "Long shot. What are you waiting for? Give it your best shot." And we get some more of Longshot's uh, sad sack routine. Best shot, yeah, a blade and a bit of luck. Not much compared with lightning and lasers and ice. Huh. So what am I afraid of? What harm can I do? Demons twisted me inside, still feel it. Scars me, but no. Luck shines like a star. Good luck. Now, huh. <laughs> so he throws his flechette. And it sails over the head of Mr. Sinister. Uh, actually, it doesn't. It shades off of like some sort of shield. Yeah, you're right. Uh, it It's drawn weirdly. I didn't actually realize that Longshot was in the background until yeah, just now. He but, is. but yeah, it looks like maybe his shot would have hit Mr. Sinister in the shoulder, but Mr. Sinister um, deflects it with a shield. Oh, Longshot, I had almost forgotten you. He points his finger at Longshot, and he's going to zap him, but then Jean Grey gets in the way. No, leave him alone. Arg. He was, oh, so Mr. Sinister was about to shoot Longshot. Jean gets in the way, and Longshot continues his sad sack routine. He was aiming for me. He hit her. My luck turned sour, and I betrayed them when they needed me most. And Jean lands right in Mr. Sinister's arms. Somehow. 
<laughs> yeah, even though in the previous panel, she looks like she's at least 40 yards away. <laughs> you see, Scott, says Alex, he has Jean. You know what he'll do to her. What will it take to make you stop him? And then in a gross panel, Sinister leans over and kisses. I'm not sure if it's on the lips. It seems kind of on the lips, like maybe half on the lips, but still, it's gross. It looks like Mr. Sinister kisses Jean's bottom lip. Yeah. It's, I mean, I guess the the intent, well, I don't know why Mr. Sinister does it, but obviously the writer wants to amp up Cyclops so much that, that he does what he does on the next page. But Mr. Sinister's motives, well, I don't know, I guess they're trying to redo his character to be the character that taunts um, Scott. So this is like the ultimate taunt, like, I have your girlfriend and I'm kissing her and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, uh, turns out that there is one thing Cyclops can do about it, which is shout no. No! He's got his starry eyes and he he fires, but just before he fires, uh, Beast bounds in and grabs Gene. So it wasn't that hard to get Gene away from Mr. Sinister this time. Come on, Gene. I don't know why Beast just didn't do this like on panel one. Like, <laughs> long shot, do your thing. I'll bound in and rescue Gene and we'll get the jet and we'll get out. He should have been doing this like every time that Sinister Sinister picked up Gene Gray. Yeah. Somebody should have done this. Anyway, he grabs the, the looks like in a second, this is the last place you'll want to be. So Cyclops, with his amped up rage, anger, and being fully charged up, as we learned last issue of Uncanny X-Men, and maybe we've learned through various other retcons, their powers charge each other up. He's at maximum, and he unleashes the full fury of his blasts on Mr. Sinister, which evaporates Mr. Sinister's costume, skin, blood, muscle, everything. Just leaves behind a skeleton. So, not sure how that works, except that maybe just like for some reason, Sinister is allergic to optic blasts or something. Right. Because as we've, well, we've gone back and forth. Like sometimes optic beams mean heat, but most times they just mean force. And right. here they are, I don't know, disintegra disintegrative. Is that a word? Or, or, I mean, I guess force can also dissolve sort of but it has to be a bigger force but you would think there would still be meat there maybe there was so much force that it all just got blown off mr sinister and right now all of the x-men that were behind mr sinister are just covered in mr sinister <laughs> it, it could be it could also be that mr sinister was a skeleton all along but he was projecting a body over like in front so that's another power of his is for you to make him think that he's much bigger than a skeleton so I do not believe that I have read a follow-up comic to this that contains Mr. Sinister, but I do know that Mr. Sinister comes back. I just don't know yes. how. So he definitely does. I don't. I don't know when, but he definitely does. So yeah, so they could definitely write that in. Like, well, that wasn't actually me. It was like Magneto. It was a robot. Yeah, it was a Doombot. <laughs> it was a Doombot this whole time. Um, so yeah, Jean's been out for the, the count. She finally wakes up uh, fully and is like, Scott, what happened? And Alex says the 12 of us, 12 of Sinister's peers found him guilty, Jean. He's gone forever. So is this a reference to like the 12? Because they're, they're pointing out 12 pretty, 
kind of seriously hardcore here. Like, 12, hey, you guys, you're X-Factor guys. You should know you're looking out for the 12. I, that's a great question. I don't know. Because I don't think, I, I mean, in the pantheon of mutants, I don't know that I would put Dazzler or Longshot as one of the 12. I, I mean, this is obvious. This, I, I feel like this is just a straight-up jury reference that unintentionally uh, ties in with Master Mold's Seeking of the 12. Okay, you're probably right. <laughs> I think it's just a... Un, like when they wrote that, nobody like double checked it to be like, "Hey, aren't people going to be confused with that other twelve thing we were talking about?" You know what? If I had connected it with a jury, I probably wouldn't have had that thought, but I didn't for some reason. So, <laughs> but I honestly felt kind of the same way. Like, is that the master mold twelve, or is that just a jury of twelve? Hmm. Um, I'm just I'm gonna go with. Uh, I mean, he's like we're his peers. We found him guilty. There's twelve of us. But I wish he would have finished it by saying we're judge, jury, and executioner. Really just a beat home that analogy he just made, but he doesn't. Yeah. Um, so anyways, Polaris disappeared. The X-Men are leaving, going back from where we came. We're not going to talk, have a drink, go out to lunch. This is wrapping. Wrap it up, folks. <laughs> <laughs> we're out. we got things to do. Uh, Cyclops compliments Alex, Alex's plan. Uh, Alex is like, nah, it weren't nothing. You did it all. You saw Gene. You made yourself do that. Your rage fueled mine. You forced me back uh, beyond Sinister's conditioning. You freed me. You were always able to get under my skin with your river dance, <laughs> even when we were little. They embrace. They say goodbye. Uh, Cyclops asks of Xavier's dream. Dreams don't die, says Scor uh, Storm. And the But the X-Men and X-Factor have different roles to play in making that dream come true. Gotta go. <laughs> there, Longshot Dazzler says, you see, it looked like bad luck, but if you hadn't suckered Sinister, he wouldn't have hit Gene. Hit Gene? Kissed Gene? He never hit Gene. Well, no. He did hit Gene when he shot at Longshot. Oh, all right. With his yeah, yeah, laser, yeah. his finger blast. Gotcha. And then Scott wouldn't have, and she trails off because I think she knows, like, nah, none of this is lining up. I think, I think Longshot just has bad luck. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. Um, you know, ever since I came to Xavier's, I felt there was something wrong with me, something twisted beyond my control. It drove me to combat it, to be the perfect leader, the perfect hero. Then Madeline came, and I failed in every way. Eventually, I blamed Xavier. I know, it almost <laughs> drove you mad! Eventually, I blamed Xavier. I thought his early training had somehow warped me. And now you know the truth, says Death Angel. You were a child when Sinister took you damaged. You could have given in, let him destroy you, but you fought so hard to become what you are. The courage it must have taken. Probably just too dumb to know when I'm licked. I'm perfect in every way. <laughs> I never left my wife and child. I'm Cyclops. The mistakes everybody thought I made, I didn't actually make, or they were somebody else's fault. <laughs> Everybody's fault but my own. <laughs> That's the psych we know and love. We save little Christopher and all the other Sinister would have destroyed. It's the whole it's a whole new world out there, X Factor. Let's make the most of it, says Death Angel. A whole new world. And the next issue of X Factor is Nanny in the Orphan Maker 
in dust to dust. So so they are going to use the title dust to dust. Eventually, yeah, they have to. So they dust, promised. So you're right, dust to dust would have made more sense in the context of Inferno, but I feel like uh Louis Simonson was like, "No, I want to make a two-parter called Ashes to Ashes, which is the end of a big story, and Dust to Dust, which is the first part of the next story. That's what I want to do. Good for her. <laughs> Sticking to her gumption. Yeah, well. There you go. Uh, Inferno is is mostly over. A couple little cleanup things to read, but uh, I don't know. In the meantime, we, we did actually get... Uh, well, as as one would have it, we we had got voicemail while we were recording this issue. That's crazy. Like literally. So That's crazy. It's I just know, crazy. Right? Like like he, he knew. Hi Adam and Jeremy. This is Andrew Colley from New Jersey. I'm listening to old episodes, uh number 116 in particular. Um and I think it's Adam who states that uh, ten years ago, when he reread uh, the X Men from 200 to 250, he remembers Inferno being half good and half bad. And I was just wondering, now that you're coming up to the end of doing the Inferno arc for the show, if your opinion has changed or stayed the same, or even gone more negative. Uh, love the show, guys. Thanks. Well, Andrew in New Jersey, uh, the question's for you, Adam. Like I have an answer, but. I'd like I'd like you to you answer. Um, I think well, it's hard to know what I felt when I was saying that, but I mean, from the sounds of it, I I think I feel the same. Um, there are a lot of things to like in Inferno, and the, I think the only thing that I really don't like about Inferno is that it feels like it takes forever. Uh yeah, I like uh, I like the slow burn approach, like the build up, the ramp up of uh. Inferno, uh, and I even kind of like the actual Inferno, which I guess is just two issues of X-Men, two issues of uh, X-Factor, but these last two cleanup issues really felt like uh, too much. Whether I call it like half good, half bad, I, I think it's more good than bad. I don't know if I'd yeah, call definitely. any of it bad. Like, I, I think uh, a lot of cool things, a lot of, lot of origins, a lot of... Uh, um, uh, mysteries have been resolved. A lot of slates wiped clean, like as we saw with Cyclops. Like they no longer have to deal with the baggage of Scott leaving his wife. We no longer have to worry about Angel chasing after Jean. I guess um, all of those things are gone. We don't have to worry about Madeline. We don't have to worry about the baby. All of those storylines are wrapped up. The only thing that's, I guess, really not quite wrapped up is like the relationship of the X Men and the X and X Factor. I guess what I would have liked to have seen, and maybe maybe this is just my more modern sensibilities, uh, is like instead of this issue being kind of as long as it was, like maybe the back four pages could have been like the X Men and X Factor just kind of hanging out, <laughs> catching yeah. up. Uh, maybe maybe like in the like like doing a training exercise on ship, but so that there's some action and whatnot. But you could have like. Angel and Wolverine, like, going at it like the old days, and Storm and Jean having a cup of coffee, and et cetera, et cetera. But it was kind of like, all right, we're out. It was probably a Chris Claremont thing where, like, the X-Men are still hidden, so get them out of there as quickly as possible. I feel like you still could have done that. Like, they don't need to get in front of 
TV news cameras. They could have, like, you know, in disguise gone over the ship and hung out for a little while and been like, yeah, you know, so this thing happened. We thought it was an opportunity. Although it does kind of fly in the face of Xavier's dreams to be like, yeah, we're going to strike first and strike hard. (laughs) (laughs) A few months later, during a baseball game. Yeah. So, I don't know. Uh, It's not any worse uh, to me. Uh, And I have read, like, I downloaded, I won't buy, I've said this before, I downloaded, like, the the entire arc, uh, including all of the ancillary uh, Marvel Universe goings-ons, and I read it cover to cover. Um, And even that I didn't mind so much. I'm glad we didn't do that with this, because that would have been ridiculous. I also, like, I didn't do that before, so this time I did all of that stuff, and I had never read Exterminators before either. So there was a lot of new stuff for me, and I think as a result it was probably better than what I initially thought because there was a lot of gaps that get filled in that I hadn't realized were things that were happening. Yeah. So I I also think that this would, rather than retelling the Dark Phoenix story again, this would be a good Marvel MCU uh, X-Men movie. Yeah? Yeah. cut Cut out Mr. Sinister. Focus on Inferno, where just demons take over New York and you get a good, crazy X-Men action film. It'd be fun. Do you, do you, so I agree with taking Mr. Sinister out because even in this story, I feel like we start, we don't really even start with Mr. Sinister so much. We start mostly with Sim and then we kind of bleed over to Nastir and then we bleed over to Mr. Sinister. Um, but anyways, all that being said... Do you do in your in in your Inferno X Men movie? Is the first movie just Inferno, or is the first movie in an X Men adventure where towards the end of it things start going weird and set up the sequel, which is Inferno? Uh, maybe maybe Inferno is one of those bigger things that happen. Like maybe other heroes could appear in Inferno. We just have a movie called Inferno that features the Fantastic Four and the X Men and maybe. Uh, Whichever Avengers are still willing to show up. <laughs> sure. Uh, that could be cool. I, I wouldn't hold my breath, though. No, I wouldn't either. I'm so. just thinking, like, as far as X-Men stories go, this is one of the bigger ones. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like in order to pull that off, they would have to kind of uh, flesh out the uh, mutant franchise in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Have a few different... A, a little bit, but but not so much. I mean... Like, it's more of taking the concept of something and turning, like, the way that they turned Civil War into something that was very simple, but not at all reflective of what Civil War actually was in the comics. They could do something like that, where it's at the core, it's Inferno, and it kind of references the comics, but it's an entirely different story. Yeah, but I think the reason that Civil War works is because there were 12 movies ahead of it. That set up all of those characters. Yeah, and and you could you could still have those. I, I would imagine there would be. I don't know. There's going to be tons of them. So I hope so. I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying doing it as the first X Men story. Oh, okay. Maybe maybe like maybe like after you've had three X Men movies or something like that. Sure. So uh, Inferno could be the end game of the mutant uh, franchise. Right. Yeah, sure. Right. I, I get behind that. Make it a two-parter. You got a couple cliffhangers you could work with. It doesn't have to be beat for beat. You can just take elements from it. Um, it could be neat. It could be interesting. 
Uh, so yeah, to answer the question, uh, and I guess to just kind of tie up this whole whole Inferno series, it's a little long, um, but overall, it, it's a it's a it's a, it's a it's a pretty good ride. It's, it's a roller coaster that's maybe just a hair too long. Agreed. Yeah. So. There you go. Uh, why don't you let us know what you think or thought of Inferno, our coverage of Inferno, where there things we missed, things that we made up. <laughs> Do you hate Inferno? Do you love Inferno? Visit us at www.xmenpodcast.com, Facebook uh, facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Danger Room Go or email us, DangerRoom at XMenPodcast.com. Go out to iTunes, search up Danger Room. We're the first podcast that shows up. You can subscribe to us, leave us a review, leave us some feedback. Uh, or as Andrew from New Jersey did, you can call us at 501-GET-X-MEN. That's 501-438-9636. And who knows, maybe you will leave us a voice message as we're recording the episode. We'll just roll it right into the episode because that's how we roll, Adam. We don't yeah. wait. We don't cue these things up. We don't plan. <laughs> Well, yes, uh, that's true. Uh, our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. We've got a little bit more Inferno to, to talk about. Not not a ton, but uh, <clears throat> should probably talk about Power Pack number 44 first. They call that one Aftermath. Yeah. In an earlier Inferno issue, the Power Pack kids, and this is an issue that I had uh, owned, uh, it had the boogeyman guy. Uh, mm-hmm. He's and, creepy. Yeah, and, and he was a regular old dude earlier in Power Pack, but then they sent him off to Limbo, and he was demonized, and he was turned into a literal boogeyman. And uh, at the end of that issue, Power Pack is like, Mom, Dad, we have something to tell you. We are Power Pack. Uh, and evidently in this issue, as they're helping clean up a whole bunch of the Inferno stuff, the parents are not taking this well. Not at all. In fact, they've they're basically having like catatonic seizures about it. I mean, they're 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 not reacting. They're basically pretending like everything's okay. Um, I, not that this really matters. Uh, I I actually really like the art in this issue, uh, and I actually don't mind the story so much. Um, but I look at the the credits. Uh, I feel like this is kind of an anomaly in a comic book, a major comic book in the '90s. The writer. Penciler and Inker, all three of them are women. They're also special guests. So the the previous issue, which had the story where they they came out to their parents, essentially, I believe the uh, it was a totally different set of people. Probably all men. Probably, but uh, good on you, Power Pack. So yeah, the parents are just they're they're smiling. You said catatonic, absolutely. Uh, having weird seizures, but they're like, yeah, we, we got to act normal. Uh, you're superheroes and well, we can't tell you to do anything because you're superheroes. So like, you don't even need us. So they're smiling like crazy, crazy people. And as soon as the power pack leaves the room, they, they writhe in agony. Yes. And whenever <laughs> the kids enter the room, they snap out of whatever cataton catatonia whatever catatonics they're in, and go instantly into fake smile. Yeah, everything's, right. everything's good. That's weird. It's so weird. <laughs> there's a there's an ongoing thread here in Power Pack and New Mutants where there's some residual demonness in some of the uh, um, inanimate objects that if you just shake them a little bit, the demons get 
wriggled loose and they go back to normal. Yeah, so they destroy somebody's car, and the guy's like, how do I explain this to my insurance? Yeah, there's a bus that's tried to digest a whole bunch of people, but uh, Power Pack steals the roof to to fly off and help people. But none of that matters. Um, The New Mutants show up. Well, a few of them. Gossamer, Sunspot, and Mirage show up. And Warlock. Oh, and Warlock, yep. And they, uh, they spend the rest of the issue helping out a hospital. Um, immediately, Mirage creates a, an entire staff using her ability, her power. A hospital staff, because they're at a hospital, and, and it's, it's kind of like uh, uh, everybody's on the streets, and the doctor's sitting there like, only the most seriously injured are going to be helped. Everybody else is going to have to wait. So Mirage is like, what would you like more than anything else? And the doctor's like, I don't know, a whole bunch of people to help me. And so she's like, there they are, but make sure you use real Band-Aids, because when I leave, so do they, and we don't want the Band-Aids to leave, too. Yeah, it's it's kind of ridiculous, but okay. It's fine, whatever. For what this is. She also creates a construction crew. So, uh, so one of these guys has a hammer. I can see it. Um, so I'm guessing the hammer is fine until yeah. she di- they disappear. Gossamer uses her powers to make some of the men who are in serious pain not feel much pain. Well, feel any pain. They're just happy. They're like, look at her, pretty, pretty girl. <laughs> the effect seems to be most pronounced on the male subjects. And apparently uh, the cloud power pack kid, Julie, I don't remember what her name is. Uh, she's using her air powers to make everybody, the kids seem like they're sleeping on air, I guess. Cause they ran, they, they couldn't find any mattresses. Oh, that's right. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> so they clean up and they head back home and, uh, this was weird. Uh, this picture of the powers mom in the corner, it looks like she's holding a baby. She's holding a a doll. Oh, it's a doll. Does, does anybody say that the, it's a doll anywhere? Or do you just know that because they don't have any babies? Um, I, I'm not sure. I don't think anywhere it says it's a doll. So I'm like, how did she get a baby? And then based on this panel, like, is she breastfeeding the baby? Like, it's really dark. Like, it goes from kind of like... I don't think she's breastfeeding. No, I don't don't think so either. But it goes from like kind of more or less this happy-go-lucky issue with a little bit of parent psychosis going on to this, like, really dark panel. And kind of the the rest of this page is all dark. Like, the dad's brooding in the bedroom and... The dad mumbles for, like, three panels about how terrible parents they are. They're not super parents. They're not fit to be parents. They didn't even realize that they're... Kids were superheroes. How could they be uh, consider themselves even parents if they didn't know? Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's dark stuff. Uh, I don't know. Get a whole lot more backs. A lot, lot of word balloons here. But uh, Mirage basically says, uh, "Like, what do you want most? Like, use my wish stick." And they wish that their kids were back and everything was normal. So so then they're, the four Power Pack kids rush in and they're normal, and then the real Power Pack kids are like, what's going on? And Mirage claims that the whole thing were, mm. was because of the boogeyman thing. Yep. And uh, everybody's happy. The, the new mutants needed to trick uh, the boogeyman, so 
she enlisted the 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 um, use of the normal power pack kids that have no powers to create facsimiles of them that actually have powers to help fight off the boogeyman. And the powers parents are like, uh, okay, seems legit. We just want to believe anything at this point. <laughs> And so Gossamer puts them all to sleep and the power pack kids are like, oh, my God, we've been replaced. What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? They're I all, guess it's OK, since at least our parents are happy. They're all there in this this panel, like this lower left hand panel where it's all uh, like blues and blacks and just heavy hash marks and just these forlorn children's faces. Again, super <laughs> dark. They're like, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? They're, they're not even going to miss us. And Mirage is like, no, no, no. I mean, they'll disappear as soon as we leave. So why don't you get changed? You get into bed and, uh, you know, it's all good. So they just wipe out the thing that they just created. Yep. No Character issues. conflict is, is silly. So you got to wonder, like, was that always the plan or this new writing staff come in and they're like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Let's just well, revert everything back to the way it was. So this is like. Like I said, this is the third part of a three-part The Boogeyman story. And the first two parts were written and drawn by the same creative team. And I wonder if, like, somebody was just, like, maybe maybe they had a difficulty working with them or something and they got fired or maybe they quit and they had to bring these other people in and the directive of the editing staff was uh, turn everything back to the way it was. I don't care how you do it. Just do it. It seemed like the old creative staff was doing something, but we don't know what it was. So just just fix it. Okay. So so they do. Uh, anyways, yeah, good art, good good story. It's a good issue, you know. All things considered. Good times. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, there's New Mutants number seventy four, where the other side or the other half of power, or geez, the New Mutants as well as the Exterminators, are also cleaning up, doing some damage control. Fighting garbage cans and such. Yep. Again, they they talk about how there's still some demonness in these items, uh, but if they just give them a good shake, um, the, the demonness leaves. We get to see some of Magneto and Shaw cleaning themselves up after fighting uh, in during Inferno, and they uh, they kind of arm wrestle or something. I don't know. They're kind of flexing and what whatnot. They're they're both got their shirts off. It's very manly. Yeah, Shaw, Shaw is basically like, "This is your fault. Your student did this, and you caused a lot of property damage." And Magneto's like, "But the world's security has been threatened, and all you're worried about is economic interests. What's wrong with you?" Shaw's talking about, "Well, you only care about mutant kind, so let's fist fight." <laughs> and they do. Uh, the Black Queen and the White Queen come in, and they're like, what are you guys doing? Stop it. <laughs> this is lame. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about philosophy, says Shaw. So the uh, Exterminators and New Mutants bring all of the 13 babies uh, to ship. Yeah, I guess, I don't know if it really matters for what we're going to talk about, but they kind of rehash the fact that Lila Cheney is dead, probably. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah teleported into the sun and then rain points out that well maybe she's not dead because she's i don't know uh because she has to teleport she can only teleport to places where she's been before and she's never been to the sun so so she must shows maybe she teleported somewhere else or maybe she had been to the sun and she had a way to survive so maybe she's still alive 
So they get to the ship. Uh, ship freaks out about Ilyana, but ultimately lets Ilana on. It freaks out about Warlock. It's like, oh, that's the son of Magus. That's a Magus prince. We can't have that here. So Warlock turns himself into Roger Rabbit. So that this must Roger Rabbit must have just come out. I guess. <laughs> self is techno-organic, yes, and self can shape change, but self is also a mutant. Uh, and Ship is like, all right, whatever, you can come in too. But then Gossamer comes up and Ship freaks out and cases her in glass. She is no mutant. She is more than more dangerous even than a magus. She must be captured. She must be contained. And the new mutants and exterminators have to fight Ship for a little while. Well, Sunspot freaks out and Cannonball is also not really freaking out, but they are trying to do and Rusty, not Rusty, um um Richter. They're all doing anything that they can do to save Gossamer, almost to an unhealthy level so much so that warlock is even like self-friendship does not want to hurt self-friends either or it would have already yeah um and then gossamer points out that you guys are acting like this because of me i can't really control this ability that i have to make men crazy over me and i really i really probably just need to go and that's when mirage sees a death's head and uh gossamer further freaks out no it's because of me Gotta get out of here. And Chip's like, all right, I'll make you a ship. And Sunspot's like, all right, I'm coming with. And so is Cannonball. And she's like, nope, it's a ship for one. I'm out. Bye. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the ship that, the, the starship that ships makes is only seats one. Yep. <laughs> Take it. Go. She kisses Robbie and uh, Cannonball goodbye. And Richter and... Um, the other R name guy. What was the other guy's name? Rusty. Rusty. Uh, they want kisses too, but they're stopped by the uh, boom boom and skids. Well, forget we... it, you two. They've earned those goodbye kisses. You hardly know that bimbo. So we know that Rusty and skids are an item. Is there any implication that Richter and Boom Boom are an item? I don't believe so. No, but she's definitely um, like, uh, uh-uh, uh, none for you. I think she might have a crush on Richter, but there's never really been anything beyond that. Yeah, okay. But I think she's had, she boom, boom, gets crushes on just about everybody, it seems like. So meanwhile, at the Hellfire Club, um, Emma Frost and Magneto continue to talk about the new mutants, uh, kind of reflecting on the fact that Magneto no longer represents the X-Men and the new mutants he can't control. So Shaw thinks that there's no place for him as the White King, but she also says, like, this is the right time for us to take over. The time for subtlety is passing. Now is the time for change. But something has happened in Xavier's school, uh, presumably the, the Mr. Sinister battle, I would suspect. Is that is that still Celine? Yes. Okay, yeah. Something is happening at Xavier's school. It registered now on the survey equipment. Come quickly! And we don't find out what that is. We will, I think, next issue. Uh, the New Mutants thank everybody for their help. They get on Warlock and they fly towards the mansion and kind of blab on about what's been happening. The fact that Magneto's a jerk and if we go back, we're going to have to listen to his rules. But the only responsible thing to do is go back and tell him that they're not going to listen to his rules anymore. Blah, blah, blah. And when they get to Xavier's school for gifted youngsters, something's happened, but we don't know what. 
Looks like a problem of whether to come back to school has been settled once and for all, says Cannonball. <laughs> Next issue, New Mutants confront Magneto with guest artist John Byrne. Who's he? I forget. Hmm. Some hack. Probably won't ever make it in comics. <laughs> probably. Who does make it? Nobody makes it in comics. Comics are for kids. <laughs> yep. So... Marvel Comics Presents number 22 is uh, finally the chapter of Marvel Comics Presents that I owned as a kid. So this this is the one? Yeah, and I bought it because, um, why did I buy it? I bought it because I was probably, buy, well, I was buying comic books, and I saw Cyclops on the cover, and I opened it up, and on the first panel, you see Master Mold, and I was like, ooh, I like Master Mold. Uh, but then I don't know what's happening. I don't know how it ends. I don't, just only ever read this part. So in this one, uh, conscience has decided that since uh, I'm sorry, conscience. Oh yeah, right, conscience. Sorry, I forgot. Uh, conscience has decided that since the uh, death virus is now going to kill billions of humans, that he needs to team up with uh, Cyclops and Moira and Callisto in order to stop Master Mold's plan. And that's it. They they uh they they get to they they don't actually stop the plan. Master Mold catches on to them, and at the end of it, uh, he confronts them and grabs Cyclops and is supposedly squeezing the life out of Cyclops. I guess Cyclops and Callisto are still sick with the virus. Moira goes to her lab to see if she can find some sort of cure. So that's it. Well, I mean. Master Mold disintegrates conscience. I mean, conscience. He does? Yeah. Did I miss that? Yeah, page seven. Oh. oh I just figured, I, f I figured he was just still alive. He was giving, uh, well, I, I don't know. Is he trying to help everybody escape? I don't know what's happening here, but he talks to uh, Master Mold and says that, uh, you know, he's given the condemned uh, last walk around, and that's when... Master Mold gets all angry and says, Conscience, shut up, and evaporates him. I guess I assumed that he was still alive because, I mean, I don't really see him as being evaporated, but I guess we'll find out next issue. Well, I guess I guess you're right. Uh, he is whole. There's a lot of debris behind him. I guess I'm assuming, like I said, I've never read the last part of this, <laughs> <laughs> so he could very well be alive, but it looks like those chunks are coming off of him, but maybe not. It, it, it is reminiscent of when that Sentinel blasted uh, Wolverine in Days of Future Past, so maybe you're right. Yeah, and, uh, and then Master Mold picks up Cyclops and says, did you, did you think I would let you stop me again? Vengeance will be mine. I will crush you. And so will your mutant. Your mutants will die too. Oh, continue next issue. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like the art in this issue. It's consistent. It's Ron Lim. He's, he's good. Yeah. There's also a uh, new mutants story in this issue in which rain discovers a bunch of wolf people, much like herself, uh, who sort of kidnap her for a couple of weeks and eventually she discovers that they want her to repopulate their uh, race and she refuses under the guise that they weren't really being honest when they when they kind of kidnapped her. So 
that that happens. And, and I remember reading this, the the Star Fox story, where he's just hanging out on a spaceship with this hot blonde girl, and they play dress up. Um. Yeah, the, the, there was, you know, that one was okay. I mean, I just remember that from when I was a kid. I never read the Black Panther story, though, because it seemed like all gritty. I'm sure you would not have uh, understood what was going on. It's like part 10 of 25. Oh, my God, 25 parts? Yeah. I wonder if, is it any good, I wonder? They they must have, they, this, is, this has been collected, uh, because I think when you go to, Marvel Unlimited. You can find these Marvel Comics Presents, but the only thing that's available is the Black Panther chapters. I'm enjoying the Black Panther story so far, um, but it suffers from the same thing that all of these Marvel Comics Presents suffer from, in that this eight-page storytelling is very slow. So if one were to collect it in like a trade paperback, do you think it would just be abysmal to read? Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's meant to be just taken in doses like every two weeks. I, I think so because like it would just be a, like the, the pacing is nothing happens. Like almost, almost every eight issue or every eight pages, the plot barely moves forward. I feel like if you, if you could take it and kind of re-edit it down to like a normal sized story where it's, it's all meat and not none of no filler then i think it would probably be way better i feel like most of these stories are like seven pages of filler and then an eighth page that has the cliffhanger kind of yeah <laughs> and then you're like well i can't wait till next time and then you get to next time you're like oh seven more pages of filler oh but what's gonna happen next yeah it, it, it goes down to like every eight uh, ish, uh every eight pages can be summarized in a sentence yeah so eight sentences and you're you got a story wow all right well then with that said yeah that's all i got left in me adam okay so until next time my name is jeremy my name's adam uh the danger room is closed